Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to South Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Americans go to the polls today to elect their new president. International Criminal Court faces more criticism from Africa and South African President Jacob Zuma faces a no-confidence motion. In economics news, Telcom Kenya mulls investing in multiple fiber optic cable and in sports news, Kenya's Harambe Stars coach selects 12 foreign-based players for friendly matches. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. Millions of American voters go to the polls in a historic presidential election that could elect its first woman or first billionaire to the White House. Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican Donald Trump concluded their campaigns with blitzes across battleground states in a final bid to win over undecided voters, showing Price Peace reports. Trump, Clinton and all those who speak for them have been camped out in states that will give candidates enough electoral college votes to win the presidency. And after 18 months of going to and fro, primary debates, three presidential debates, town halls, interviews, press conferences, rallies and billions of dollars spent, the day to choose has arrived. And by the end of it, one will be crowned victorious, another will likely concede. At least, that's what history teaches us. But when all is said and done... Ballots counted, returns coming in and final tallies announced. There'll be those elated, those devastated, and those who simply want this all to go away. Both U.S. presidential candidates plan to watch Tuesday night's election results in New York, prompting the city to stage the largest election day police deployment in its history. New York officials say more than 5,000 police officers will be stationed around this sprawling city. There will be extensive street closures in the neighborhoods where Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican Donald Trump plan to watch the returns come in. Clinton will hold her election night event at a convention center near the Hudson River while Trump's will be at a large Hilton hotel in Manhattan. New York's heightened security comes after unspecific threats of attacks by the Al-Qaeda militant group on New York City, Texas and Virginia around Election Day. A high-level meeting on the political and security crisis afflicting Libya opens in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. There is concern amongst African leaders that the terror group ISIS is using instability in Libya to launch attacks in neighboring countries like Chad and Mali. The government of the strife-torn Libya have over the years made a broad appeal for aid to fight Islamic State and rebuild the shattered country. Tsebe Ikaning reports from Addis Ababa. Since the toppling of Muammar Gaddafi in 2011, Libya has become one of the most unstable countries in Africa. 
Human traffickers use the country as a transit point to smuggle migrants to Europe. Terror group ISIS has established bases across Libya to recruit and train its operatives. The escalation of crisis in Libya has now forced African leaders, including President Zuma, to convene an emergency meeting which is aimed at crafting new strategies to prevent Libya from sliding further into crisis. A month since winning Morocco's parliamentary elections, Prime Minister Abdelayla Benkirani is still haggling over his future governing coalition. The October 7 poll dealt a resounding victory for Benkirani's Justice and Development Party, but not large enough to form the majority needed to form a government alone. As the head of a coalition government for five years, Benkirani was reappointed and charged with forming a new government after winning 125 out of 395 seats in the lower house. He has since been haggling with potential coalition partners, but excluding his party's arch-rival, the Authenticity and Modernity Party, which came second in the election with 102 seats. And finally, the Zimbabwean government has rejected calls for allowing same-sex marriages in the country, saying, however, that it would accept other recommendations in line with the country's constitution. According to the state-owned Herald newspaper, Deputy President Emerson Nangagwa told the United Nations Human Rights Council Working Group that Zimbabwe would not allow homosexuality in the country. Mnangagwa, however, revealed that the country would accept 142 other recommendations that were in line with the country's harmonized constitution. Zimbabwe remains a hugely anti-homosexual country, with President Robert Mugabe often lambasting gays and lesbians. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Amanda. The United States will elect its next president today, and while four candidates are on the ballot in most states, only two have a viable chance of winning enough electoral college votes to place President Barack Obama, to replace President Barack Obama in the White House. National polls have Democratic Hillary Clinton maintaining a 3.6-point advantage over Republican nominee Donald Trump, while the candidates and their surrogates have spent the last weeks of this campaign brainstorming the all-important battleground states that will determine the outcome of today's poll. That love trumps hate. Thank you. After 18 months of crisscrossing this country, candidates and those who speak for them are finally making their closing arguments to the electorate. A stark choice between a brash anti-establishment billionaire who has confounded political scientists with his success despite everything he says and does, and a career politician, not without scandal, who could become the first woman in history to ever be called U.S. Commander-in-Chief. I believe America's best days are still ahead of us. Now that doesn't mean we don't have to work for it, because we do. That doesn't mean that we can just expect it to happen as kind of a birthright. But I really believe that. I would not have worked for 18 months, traveled across our country, thought as hard as I have about what we need to do and how to do it together, proudly stand up, and defend the legacy of President Obama, which has given our country progress in the right direction. 
if I did not believe with all my heart that we could do this, right? We can do this. With some projections giving Clinton a 90% chance of winning Tuesday, the Republican nominee Donald Trump faces an uphill path to the White House and needs to win more swing states than Clinton does, including the jewel in this year's presidential crown, Florida. Real change also means restoring honesty to our government. Hillary Clinton is the most corrupt person ever to seek the office of the presidency of the United States. I'm asking you to dream big, because with your vote, we are just one day away from the change you've been waiting for your entire life. I think and hope it will be the most important vote you will ever cast, because we don't win anymore as a country. Early voting that ended Sunday has seen record numbers across the country, particularly among Latino voters in swing states like Florida and Nevada, that could hurt Trump's prospects. Fordham University's Dr. Christina Greer explains. We are seeing really high levels of early voter turnout because people are projecting that there could be long lines, right? And so if you can vote on a weekend, then that actually helps. And so I think some of the rhetoric of the Republican candidate has motivated, especially people with immigrant families, to actually turn out. Because there are a lot of people who are genuinely afraid that if the Republican candidate wins, then even though they're citizens, that they or their loved ones could be deported and the country could go in a totally different direction. She called Mr. Trump's assertion that he'll decide on election night whether or not to accept the results as the most dangerous thing he's said in this election. We think about, say, 2000, right? And the significance of Al Gore accepting the results. For the good of the nation, I will acquiesce and let George Bush be president. That's it, right? It's incredible. It was razor thin. If we have someone before the results are even in saying, I don't know, We'll see. It's like, this is not season 12 of The Apprentice. Security across the country will be on high alert through Election Day, including an extraordinary presence of New York's finest across the city, as the focus now shifts from persuasion to mobilization and getting supporters to show up at the polls. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. Now, to talk to us more about the U.S. elections, we are now joined on the line by Professor John Strimlau, University of Witwatersrand, Professor of International Relations. Good morning, Prof, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Now, Prof... Good morning. Sherwin, in ending that, says it's either um, you've done enough or you haven't done enough. This campaign, this election, this time around was really bruising. How would you describe it? It's uh, the most bizarre election of my lifetime, and I can remember back to 1948 when uh, Harry Truman um, pulled off a surprise victory so that we're all holding our breath now to see how this very bitter and, and outrageous campaign, especially from Donald Trump, who somehow managed to capture the nomination of the Republican Party despite his megalomania, his lying, his racism, and his misogyny. It's really quite extraordinary. He's got no experience, and he has fired up his crowd for the last time last night, and uh, today the voters will have their chance to speak, whereas 
Hillary Clinton has run a more conventional campaign appealing to people's uh, interest in getting on with life and working together. Now, who do you think is going to take it, Clinton or Trump? Well, in 2004, <laughs> I did a lot of predictions for um, media such as yours out here and said that uh, uh, it was definitely going to be John Kerry and it was W. Bush who won. So I'm a little hesitant to predict, but the forecasts are, and I spoke to someone yesterday who's very close to the Clinton campaign and is quite optimistic about their internal polling. And I see that the numbers from overnight suggest that she is in a 75 to 85% chance of winning, but there are paths to victory. Remember, the United States is a federal system, 50 different elections going on in each one of the 50 states, and while they go together as a herd, sometimes trends do matter. It's a, it's a very complicated uh, process to game, and, and, and Clinton has worked a lot harder than Trump at making sure that she's a pathway to the Electoral College win, which is a minimum of 270 votes. Now, just speaking of the college win, um, you know, totally different to how things are done in South Africa in terms of elections, the swing states, which includes, um, I think it's Florida, New Hampshire, and all these different states. Just briefly take take our listeners through how that works. When, when, when uh, you say the college vote, what exactly do you mean? Well, it, it, it's not a simple process, but it is important, I think, for Africans who are struggling with their own democratic experiments to realize that in the constitutional bargain of the United States, there were profound deficiencies built in because in order to get the 13 colonies to agree to a formula, they overweighted the voting in the small and rural states. Those are predominantly Republican, and they have a disproportionate role in determining outcomes. So you could have in the U.S., which would be a shocker to Democrats in Africa and everywhere else, a, a, a repeat of the 2000 election where Al Gore won more votes popular, so should be elected, one person, one vote, and yet the Electoral College, which represents the number of senators and congressmen in the U.S. legislature, that's how you get to this 270 formula. It's a complicated formula because there are 538 of those representatives, but that was the basis on which they tried to make sure that the smaller states were adequately presented. The problem today is that the smaller states tend to be the more purely white, more uh, conservative, indeed even racist, because the whole southern former segregationist, former slave states are absolutely committed to Donald Trump or any other Republican because of the civil rights legislation sponsored by the Democrats in the 1960s. I mean, these forces at work in American politics uh, can be very dark and very uh, poisonous, but they are what they are. And so I think it's important for Africans, as they struggle with their own democratic experiments, to look at the United States for lessons, good but also very bad ones. Now, Prof... We saw, um, I think, 12 days ago where there was an issue again about uh, Hillary Clinton's um, emails uh, on a server that she used as uh, Secretary of State at the time, uh, which was brought back to the forefront by, um, I think, uh, Comey of the FBI. And then again on Sunday, we saw him come out and saying, 
listen, everything is on is, is fine. Uh, we've cleared Clinton of any wrongdoing. Implications on, lose, on this uh, campaign? Yes, um, it, it, this is a very important um, uh, example of where a security agency, and we know in every African state there are important security concerns, and so you have security agencies. That security agency appears to have, in my judgment, been captured by a political faction, and Comey, under pressure from the Republicans in Congress and from uh, a desire to try to manage his internal tensions in the security structures, completely interfered in the uh, last-minute election process by issuing this vague statement, and then it was requalified at the last minute. It has had a, I think, significant effect, particularly on the down-ballot votings of Democrats and Republicans, because it raised the concern about Clinton's misjudgment, which he has said, I made a mistake by using a private email. Okay, let's move on. But the, 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 the hardliners who just hate Clinton, and you can attribute this to sexism, you can attribute it to um, standing resentments over what the Clintons politically or liberal, liberal policies, whatever, it is a, an example of where a security agency has become too involved in the political processes and threatens a democracy. And that's, I think, something that Africans all have to be on guard, African Democrats, because we, 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 we citizens, you know, have, have little recourse when our security agents get politicized. Now, we seem to be focusing just mainly on two candidates. Are there any other candidates on the ballot? We mentioned earlier that there might be two other candidates. Who are these candidates and why are they so quiet? Well, there's a libertarian candidate and, and, and there's a Green Party candidate, environmental um, uh, they're like, unlikely to get more than 10% of the vote in, in, in some elections. These, these small f- uh, f- fractions can be very, very important. They're very, very close elections. That was certainly the case uh, in, in, in when, when Bush the father lost, and there was a minority candidate who, who just managed to tip the election one way or the other, and it happened also uh, against Gore and, and Bush in 2000. But in this instance, I think... They won't be terribly relevant. It's very hard to get a third party under the U.S. system, again, because of the peculiarities of the constitutional bargain that prevent a more fluid parliamentary system, which would be, I think, more democratic uh, and more in tune with how, say, South Africa allows for vibrant multi-parties despite the dominance of the African National Congress still. So it, it, is, it is a very different democratic experiment. And the minority parties are really not very influential normally. Now, let's speak about uh, a possible Donald Trump win. What would it, would it mean for Africa? Can we expect any major policy shifts? Well, the, the man at the blank slate, and um, it's a little hard for me to imagine, frankly, and it's not just my partisan preferences, but he has had no policy experience whatsoever. His basic tenants which he has articulated for 30 years in newspaper advertisements and in speeches, is that he's against um, alliance systems, which uh, tend to be uh, paid for more by the United States, which means NATO and the whole architecture of security post-Second World War will come under stress. That's not directly affecting Africa, but the knock-on effects will be severe. More importantly for Africa, he is a mercantilist economic policy guy, at least he talks as it, it's, it's uh, you know, I win, you lose, zero-sum, not the kind of multilateral um, programs such as uh, the, the African Growth and Opportunity Act or 
special uh, allowances for trade regimes that are more fair, <clears throat> more fair to, de- to developing countries. He, he, he's, he's going to set loose a, a very negative market reaction in the short term, which could turn to a long-term economic recession, which would be very, very damaging to exporting African countries. So Africa's stakes in this with Donald Trump getting elected would be huge, but so it would be for the rest of the world as well. And we don't know what kind of, 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 of activism it would set off in, in say, Putin and Russia or, or China. It, it will scramble the international order. And if you're Africa, you don't want to have a volatile international order because you want to make your case for um, a more fair and just uh, arrangement, both on, in, in economics and in climate change, another thing which is terribly important for Africa. And, and Trump thinks climate change is a hoax. So it, it, it's very ominous, but I don't think he's going to get elected. And the win by uh, Hillary Clinton, um, is more especially for Africa. For instance, if we look at uh, um, Goa, where with uh, President, uh, outgoing President Obama's um, pres- administration, nothing really much was done on uh, Goa. Is Clinton going to do more if she wins? Well, it, it's um, it's a complicated uh, topic, an important one, and 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 one that deserves some thought about Obama's relationship with the Congress and how he handled the Agoa arrangement, say with um, South Africa, where he had to deal with certain constituencies in in the U.S. Congress that have ch- chicken industries. It's always this kind of politics, which is very complicated and requires sometimes uh, collective action by Africans. I wish that there was more of a, a tendency for South Africa to play a leadership role like it was in the African Renaissance period where Africans are beginning to talk more collectively in the African Union to make their position louder and clearer on the global stage because um, the politics of handling something like trade issues with Africa get very localized in the U.S. and Clinton will be sympathetic to Africa, but she's going to face a real difficult Congress because these ex-Trump supporters and Republicans are going to try to bring her down. And so I don't expect she's going to have a lot of spare time to develop the foreign policy. And this is a problem for Obama as well. Yet I think she will continue Obama's philosophical approaches, which is Africa needs strong institutions, not strong men. We will be a partner. He's done the things like the, the, the leadership, the fellowship initiative, as well as supporting the GOA and engaging in Africa. So I think with Clinton, you're someone you can deal with. And you can, in fact, if she, she, she has enough time and political capital, get some real important concessions out of her. Trump, it's no, it's, 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 it's no starter, in my view. He just thinks if, if uh, black lives matter, then, then African-Americans should go back to Africa. I mean, he's really, really bad. Now, Prof, we've, we've heard uh, Trump uh, put out a statement that um, if the, uh, he may or may not accept the election results, are we likely to see a court case if um, Clinton wins? Well, again, you're now touching a fundamental question that is of vital interest to Africans and to all Democrats everywhere. If you have a system which is in place, a constitution and procedures, you don't question the legitimacy of the regime. Uh, Al Gore did not question the outcome of that election in 2000, even though it was not democratic in the absolute sense, but it was legitimate because the court did rule. Trump has has done something that no presidential candidate that I can think of since 1860 in the Civil War, which was to question the legitimacy and integrity of the electoral system. 
that's what he's done. Now, I don't think this is going to turn out to be very much. I think it's a hollow threat. I say it's a hollow threat. But he is really dancing around the flame here in a very dangerous way because you don't question the integrity of the system if you're going to have a sustainable democratic experiment. There are times when you have to, when indeed slavery became such an issue for the United States that led to a civil war. I understand that. But this is not anything like that. And Trump very, very um, dangerous in, in, in fomenting his, his uh, supporters who have real grievances. They have economic uh, downturn and, and, and problems. I get that. But you don't question the legitimacy of the system. So it, it, it is, is difficult to see how it's going to play out. But I think this will dissipate if Clinton gets a significant and sizable win and the American people say, no, okay, we've had this election, let's move on. Now, Prof, very quickly, when can we expect the final results of a presidential election? Well, that's the million-dollar question right now because um, the, the, uh, the, if, if Hillary Clinton is moving very quickly to a 270 majority in the Electoral College, we might know that by U.S. standard, Eastern Standard Time, 9 o'clock in the evening. So, um, you know, the middle of the night over here, um, four o'clock in the morning, but but uh, uh, it could go on for four days if it's a very close race. Uh, if it if it's deadlocked, there are scenarios which could have it a deadlock in the electoral college, like what happened uh, close to happened in the uh, in the case of the 2000 election, and and even have to go to the court to the to the, to the House of Representatives. That's to, to be settled, which would, would be in favor of Donald Trump. Uh, if it went to the House of Representatives, that's a very unlikely scenario. I think we'll probably know something three or four hours after the poll closed. Professor Strumlau, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to chatting to you after the elections are said and done. And we know who the President of the United States will be. Bye-bye. That was Professor John Strumlau, University of Witwatersrand, Professor of International Relations, joining us on the line. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa, Africa, Amuka na Unai. The motion of no confidence in South Africa's President Jacob Zuma will be debated in Parliament on Thursday. According to the DA, it has received verbal confirmation from the Secretary of Parliament, Gengezim Gitlana. The party had threatened to take Parliament to court if they did not receive confirmation by close of business yesterday. Zaline Merrington reports. The DA says it has waited 19 days for a response from the Speaker to schedule their motion. Earlier, its Chief Whip, John Stienhausen, threatened that they would go to court to dispute the lack of urgency with which the matter has been treated. But DA leader Musi Maimane's spokesperson, Mabine Siabe, says they now received verbal confirmation. As such, we received um, verbal communication from the Secretary of Parliament stating that this uh, motion of no confidence will go ahead on Thursday, the 10th of November. Uh, We're still waiting for formal written communication from the Speaker of the National Assembly to affirm this. Eight months ago, the DA also tabled a motion of no confidence in the President. The question before the House is that the motion as moved by the leader of the opposition be agreed to. Are all members in the allocated seats? Voting will now commence. Those in favor of the motion should press the yes button. Those against should press the no button. Those wishing to press the abstain button 
Have all members voted? Yes. Honorable members, the results are as follows. Uh, the yes, 99. The no, 225. And abstain, 22. The motion is therefore not agreed to. It was unsuccessful. But Stienaisen says this time around they believe the outcome will be different because many senior ANC members have spoken out against Zuma staying on as president. From Mr. Jackson of Timbu to Mr. Motele Mocheche this last weekend, Mr. Derek Honikom has also taken to Twitter uh, to express his unhappiness. Uh, all the hundred veterans and civil society coming out. and go. So we believe that the time is ripe for South Africa to have a discussion around this. Whether or not this succeeds... Uh, is up to the conscience of the members of parliament. And what what this motion is going to give those people who are speaking out publicly the opportunity to do so is to actually put their money where their mouth is, to walk the talk. But ANC caucus spokesperson Moloto Mutapo says when the motion is debated, the ruling party will once again operate as a unit. We are not talking about individual views that have been canvassed publicly. We are talking about the position of the ANC in Parliament, the collective position of the ANC in Parliament as it is usually um, made known or, uh, or, uh, or held uh, in any, on any debate or any topic that is before the House. And that's why we are emphasizing that uh, the motion is not even scheduled, but as and when it comes before the National Assembly, we will have very good debaters that uh, are put forward for this particular debate who will contribute uh, superior and meaningful uh, uh, contribution. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Kultanjoy Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka.
Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Millions of voters go to the polls in a historic U.S. presidential election that could elect its first woman or first billionaire to the White House. A high-level meeting on the political and security crisis afflicting Libya opens in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa. And a month since winning Morocco's parliamentary elections, Prime Minister Abdelayla Benkirani is still haggling over his future governing coalition. Details on these and other stories at the top of the hour. Thank you, Amanda. It's 8.32 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Former prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, Ben Muna, has joined many Cameroonian intellectuals in support of some African countries, including South Africa, to back out of the ICC. They describe the court as an instrument for neocolonialism. The president of Equatorial Guinea, Theodoro Obiang Nguemambasago, has also described the ICC as a court that ridicules Africa. The opinion leaders are calling for the creation of an African court to handle issues currently being handled by the ICC. Muki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. The voices of Ben Muna and President Teodoro Obiang Mbambasogo of Equatorial Guinea add to those of lawyers and civil society groups in Central Africa that have begun advocating for the creation of an African court to handle cases currently being handled by the International Court of Justice. The former Deputy Prosecutor of the International Tribunal for Rwanda Cameroonian-born barrister Bernard Muna says the International Criminal Court, the ICC, since its creation, has been targeting Africa specifically. He also argues that not being answerable to the United Nations, the ICC lacks credibility. The court should be put under the Security Council to keep peace. And you know that the International Tribunal for Rwanda and the International Tribunal for Yugoslavia worked under the supervision of the Security Council. Why is this? This is because any prosecution or the court system, the criminal court in any state, must conform to the politics of that state. Where there's too much criminality in any state, they refer to the Minister of Justice. They say, but why? What's happening? Now, when you establish an international criminal court, under what policy? It's true that the international agreements that the international uh, crimes which have been recognized by the international humanitarian laws but a prosecution policy cannot be implemented by itself it must be implemented in a context are you saying that the whole foundation of the international criminal court is shaky the uh, international criminal court i think had a good intention but two things happen the legal department is acting without a boss we should be a security council. Secondly, the legal department has what we call an independent prosecutor. I agree that prosecutors have to be independent intellectually, but they cannot be independent of the politics which the security council is trying to implement. Secondly, you know that there are certain important states that are not part of it, like the United States, like Russia, and so forth. Why? If it's such a good thing, why can everybody not submit themselves to it? It is because 
The big states who carry out some of the worst atrocities in the world today do not want to be submitted, do not want their soldiers and their army leaders to be submitted to this jurisdiction. That is simple. That is just a simple thing. This tribunal was only established in order to carry out neo-colonial policies in Africa. This is because it's only Africa that comes under the microscope of, of the International Court. President Teodoro Obiangema Basogo of Equatorial Guinea has stronger words to describe the ICC. He says those who created the court want to ridicule African sovereign states after destabilizing them financially when they served as colonial masters. Califican a Guinea Equatorial como país que no respeta el proceso democrático, como país violador de derechos humanos. How are we going to solve these major problems? We are looking at this, the way they are trying to destabilize most of the parts of the world. Case of Iraq, for example, was one of the nations that were accused of having mass destruction weapons. But after, and today we all know that it has been proven completely that they do not, in any way, they did not have such weapons of mass destruction. They were trying only to find means by which they will actually acquire the raw materials and resources that are found in under the soils of Iraq. Some observers, however, believe that the status of such a court will be difficult to determine in an African environment where heads of state influence all decisions. Ben Muna says such a court could benefit from the financial assistance of the United Nations to avoid pressure from African states. The calls for the creation of an African court is widely suspected to have some political undertones. Cameroon has signed but not ratified the Rome Statute creating the ICC along 32 other countries. Although no Cameroonian has been declared wanted or invited by the ICC to answer charges, it is suspected that the country may be a hiding ground for some suspects. Three African countries, Gambia, Burundi and South Africa, have announced their misgivings about the court and triggered a continent-wide debate on its raison d'etre. It is feared many more states may back out of the court. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé. There's been a serious increase in the numbers of civilians fleeing the Mosul area in Iraq, according to the United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, as government forces continued their advance. UNHCR is opening new camps to cope with the influx of internally displaced people as the coalition battles ISIL terrorists who have occupied Iraq's second city for more than two years. Matthew Wells reports. Thousands clamour to register at the brand-new UNHCR camp at Hassan Sham in northern Iraq. Friday saw around 8,000 men, women and children leave their homes in and around Mosul, the largest one-day total since the offensive began last month. Frederick Kusik is head of UNHCR's main office in the region and he's confident there will be many more to come. Still registering people, about uh, 200 tents, uh, 200 families have been uh, allocated a tent so far. What we notice, there's a serious uh, increase for the past two days and that probably will be the same in the next uh, few days or so. 
With a constant stream of trucks arriving, the weary residents who've been living under ISIL's brutal regime bring with them chilling stories of fresh atrocities the UN says are war crimes. Here's Ravina Shamdasani from the UN Human Rights Office describing some of the extremists' latest tactics. We have reports that ISIL militants are holding captive nearly 400 women from Kurdish, Yazidi or Shia Muslim communities in Tel Afar. Since the 17th of October, ISIL has also reportedly been forcibly recruiting children from the age of 9 or 10 as fighters in Mosul. These siblings kissing and hugging in the dust of Hansa Sham camp haven't seen each other for more than two years. Here's UNHCR's Frederick Kusik again. Despite the, the drama and the, and the sadness of the displacement, somebody nobody wants, there's also some uh, happy event uh, on, the, on the side. Um Hani sits on the ground talking into a mobile phone, describing the joy of seeing her brother again. Her sibling Abu Masood is equally delighted, but he won't be content until the rest of his family arrive too. Today is my day, and it gets better if my four daughters and son would come back from Mosul. I was told they are arriving today. For the 3,000 who've poured into the camp any way they can, it's a bittersweet day. They're homeless and relying now on tents, food and blankets from the UN. But they're alive and free from the yoke of ISIL. Matthew Wells, United Nations. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Kultanjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A deadly ambush this weekend on UN peacekeepers in Mali has highlighted the dangerous landscape in which many blue helmets operate. The UN Security Council has been looking at ways to strengthen support of field missions so that they can better respond to threats such as terrorism, violent extremism and organized crime. Diane Penn reports. The United Nations has condemned the attack which killed two civilians and a peacekeeper serving at the UN mission in Mali or MINUSMA in addition to wounding several of his colleagues. Up to two-thirds of the organization's peacekeeping staff are working in areas affected by terrorism, according to one of the UN's senior experts on counterterrorism, Jean-Paul Laborde. He spoke through an interpreter. As long as terrorists and their organizations continue to spread uh, fear and horror through these attacks, the peoples living in these countries, the staff of the United Nations, the officers of the United Nations will also be their targets. We mustn't forget terrorism, violent extremism and organized crime are threats to international peace and security. And they put the United Nations peacekeeping operations in a new vulnerability, new vulnerability and a growing invulnerability because of these three elements. 
terrorism also puts neighboring states at risk, according to Michel Jean, head of La Francophonie, the association of the world's French-speaking countries. Almost half of the UN's 16 peacekeeping operations are located in countries where the language is spoken. She also spoke through an interpreter. We saw very recently how the army of Niger was victim of an attack carried out by criminal militias on the 6th of October this year. In that attack, 22 soldiers who were providing security for a Malian refugee site in Tahua region on the border of Mali were killed in broad daylight. The sub-region is seeking for Minusma to be in a place to, in the implementation of its mandate, to be able to act more tactically and in more robust way. And that it can do so on the basis of greater dialogue and greater di- coordination with neighbouring countries and with target countries. Since terrorism and violent extremism thrive in environments where governments have failed or where there is impunity, peacekeeping will need to be more nimble. UN Deputy Secretary General Jan Eliasson told the chamber, "Developing our intelligence and analysis capacity will be critical in this pursuit. We will also need to adjust how we conduct our core tasks." including our good offices, our capacity building, our community engagement and stabilization measures. Mr. Ellison said the UN will also have to ensure that the political objectives of its peacekeeping operations are clearly defined and communicated. He also called for new and creative ways to achieve political goals, particularly in conflict situations where some parties may not be what he called speaking partners or willing participants. Diane Penn, United Nations. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And I'm Tabi Solohoku with an economics update. South Africa's chances of avoiding a credit rating downgrade will be boosted by the recent wage agreement between mine workers and the platinum sector largest producers. Rating agency Moody's says that the agreement is credit positive for both South Africa and platinum mining companies because it avoids a strike and the loss of platinum production. Moody's rates South Africa's debt at BAA2. two notches above subinvestment grade with a negative outlook and it is due to make its next ratings decision by the end of this month 
South Africa's power utility ESCOM says it will ensure that there are no disruptions to its coal supply as a result of Tegeta's decision to pull out of its contract with the power utility. The Gupta-owned company announced its intention to stop its business dealings with ESCOM. Here's Kulupasiwa, who's ESCOM's spokesperson. We don't foresee any interruptions on our coal supply. Obviously, at this stage, it's too early to say, but my suspicion is that the matter will be dealt in the same way as the Glencoe matter. Glencoe, for example, when they sold their mine to Tegeta, they informed us and then they entered into discussions with the potential buyers. And only after the buyers had been um, identified and the contract had been uh, signed that uh, we were informed about uh, who the new buyer will be. And that did not have any bearing on our coal supply arrangements with Tegeta or even the previous buyer. The Ugandan government has committed to support real estate developers across the country as it steps up efforts to increase a decent and affordable accommodation for all Ugandans by 2020. According to the housing minister, Chris Bariomunzi, the government will next year start to extend electricity water and sewage services to construction sites, thus reducing the cost of housing by at least 50%. According to a 2015 World Bank housing report, Uganda will turn into an extended slum in 10 years if investments in the real estate and housing sectors are not deepened. Britain's Tesco Bank has suspended all online transactions after around 20,000 customers had money stolen from their accounts in a hack attack. The retail banking outfit says it's now trying to refund accounts as quickly as possible. Tesco confirms that 40,000 of its 136,000 account holders had been uh, suspicious transactions, had seen transpicious, uh, had seen rather, suspicious transactions, excuse me there, while money was fraudulently withdrawn from 20,000 accounts. No figure has been given for the total amount of money involved. Oil prices have been stable as financial investors and traders were cautiously positioning themselves for a win by Hillary Clinton in the U.S. presidential elections. U.S. West Texas Intermediate crude futures are at $44.97. The contract nearly 1.9% of the previous session. International brand crude prices are up $0.08 at $46.23 per barrel. The U.S. dollar is at uh, 13.48 in South Africa, 10.33 in Botswana, 9.72 in Zambia, 8.0 British pound, 9.0 euro, gold 1,000 to $83, platinum 1,001 dollars per ounce, brand crude for $6, 25 cents a barrel. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we're starting off with rugby news. Springbok coach Alice Kutsia says Iben Edsbeth is definitely going to play for an English premiership side. 
English and European champion Sanderson's had hoped to sign the lock on a three-month deal in a bid to cope with a second-row injury crisis that sees them without England internationals George Grace and Mauro Itoje. But there has been speculation that Eadsbeth could sign a short-term deal with Premiership basement club Bristol in a bid to boost the Southwest side's chances of avoiding relegation. A 25-year-old set to play for South Africa against England at Twickenham on Saturday could play in the Premiership following the conclusion of the Springboks European Tour before returning home to see out the final year of his current contract with the Stormers. And in football news, Harambe Stars, that's from Kenya, coach Stanley Okumbi has named 12 foreign-based players that will join locally-based comrades in preparation for upcoming international friendly match. Those two matches will be against Mozambique and Liberia. Returning to the team is captain Victor Wanyama, who missed the last match against the Democratic Republic of Congo, as well as South Africa's base Clinton Miheso, who has missed recent international assignments. Conspicuously missing from the squad are defender Joaquin Atudo and Belgian-based midfielder Johanna Omolo after being included in the last friendly match in Kinshasa. Earlier on, Okumbi had named a squad of 25 locally-based players who are already in camp. In cricket news, young South African paceman Kahiso Rabada says he's ready to shoulder extra responsibility in the wake of Dale Stain's shoulder injury after his man-of-the-match performance in the first test victory over Australia on Monday. Strike bowler Stain will be out for at least six months after hurting his shoulder on the second day in Perth, but he was barely missed as Rabada stepped up with a five-wicket haul in the second innings. The right arm claimed 5 for 92 in his fourth five-wicket haul to guide South Africa to victory by 177 runs, bowling more deliveries than in any of his eight previous tests. And in golf news, the 2016 Netbone Golf Challenge, the NGC Pro-M, is set to get underway on Wednesday. And it will be followed by the main event from the 10th to the 13th of November. NGC director Alistair Rupa is living proof of the old saying, Roma has grown since its humble beginning that is now overwhelmed by its own greatness. With the event now celebrating 36 years with an extended field of 72 players, Rupa says he could be happier with himself because he has seen the tournament grow from strength to strength. It's been a long road for me. Um, I've worked here in the 80s. Uh, and in 1981, when it first started, I was on the food and beverage side of things, yeah. So I can't say I was in the organizing of the tournament, but I certainly sold a few hamburgers, okay. <laughs> um, and that was until 87 when, when I left here. But then in 1995, I was brought back to our head office in Santon. And one of my roles that I was given was to get involved with this tournament. Uh, I'm, I was very fortunate that I got into this tournament just as things were starting to change, uh, change in the sense that um, the old apartheid system had fallen and uh, the reality of things was that more golfers would come now because there wasn't that objection to playing in South Africa anymore. So I then got sight of a lot of the world's best golfers coming out to participate here, not saying that a lot of the world's best golfers played here in the 80s as well, but it was a lot easier for me to get golfers to come out, certainly in those early years. And uh, it was an opportunity. I was given a canvas and a palette of paints and effectively with a paintbrush. And I 
nobody interfered with what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The 2016 NGC program is set to get underway on Wednesday. Just a reminder. That's your sport news this hour. Sunshine. Africa, Sosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, Rise and Shine. If the Samoa Americans go to the polls today to elect their new president, and South Africa's President Jacob Zuma faces a no-confidence motion. That wraps up Africa, Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Bumuzo Ramagadzan, Technical producer Revelina Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rashine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Berita with a song titled Ngue Wetwa. Do I need? And if one and all.